Welcome to Gold Star Classroom, the podcast where our panelists go back to school. We'll grade them on their answers to a variety of general knowledge and trivia questions. They don't know what we're going to ask, and we don't know what they're going to say. The student with the highest grade at the end of the class will win the coveted classroom prize, the Golden Banana. I'm your host and headmaster, Professor Jerry Jaffe. Welcome to today's episode of Gold Star Classroom. I'm your host and headmaster, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and it's my pleasure to introduce today's students. Sitting on my right is comedian and raconteur, Mark Colella. Hello, everyone. Hello, Mark. How you doing? Good to be here. Of course it is. I'm wonderful. <laughs> that was a great conversation. <laughs> Thank you. I, too, enjoyed it. <laughs> well, and sitting on my left is today's student, comedy writer, comedian, and a little-known fact, a performer who briefly performed under the name Christopher, <laughs> Sean Lynch. Uh, always good to be back here. <laughs> I was glad to have you back in class. Mm-hmm. We'll learn you up eventually. <laughs> and sitting directly across from me is a comedian from Akron, Mandy Lee. Hello, fellow students. <laughs> Hello, Miss Lee. Welcome to class. In this class, I will dip into the well of knowledge across the ages and eons, across all geography, across all languages, and I will impart my knowledge and wisdom upon you and upon my students listening at home. And as any good teacher would, I will grade your answers. Oh, dear. And at the end of today's class, and this could be you, Mandy, the student with the highest grade will win the coveted classroom prize, the golden banana. I love bananas. Well, you would love this one because it's not only a banana, it's golden. Does it peel? Is it the inner or is it all, is it all gold? It's very appealing, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> and I there feel, we are. I feel you asked for that. Like, yeah. I don't blame myself for that comment. I, I'm, I'm proud you walked, of you. you walked right into it. <laughs> all right, so today's first quiz topic is World War II trivia. Mm. Oh, dear. And I have a specific topic in mind, and um, we'll start with a couple simple questions, and then we'll see what other knowledge we can unpack. So here's my first question for you. Do you know what the word kamikaze means? I do. Mark? It means uh, a pilot that's going to kamikaze your <laughs> boat by, by using his, his airplane as the uh, device to, you know, whatever. Your, Does that make sense? Your, your uh, whatever was very close. I'll give you 10 points for being almost right, but minus five for the whatever. Miss Lee's raising her hand. So isn't that a, like a fierce wind or something or a deadly wind? Oh, I, I, like, I like what you're putting out there, Miss Lee. Before I confirm or deny, I want to see if Sean has anything he wants to it add. It is to a your delicious shot with vodka and just this much <laughs> lemon juice. That's, uh, that's my entry. And you get a gold star for that answer. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and actually, you all get gold stars because you were all correct. Uh, kamikaze is a type of pilot uh, generally associated with Japan in World War II who would intentionally crash their aircraft into ships, enemy ships at sea in an effort to do, both do damage and frighten their opponents, or in this case, the Allied forces or the U.S. Navy. But the word kamikaze is, of course, a Japanese word, and uh, the literal translation into English is usually called either divine wind or spirit wind. 
Um, and it is a popular cocktail. I feel so. like you shouldn't reward him for his alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> You're enabling. I heard those kamikaze pilots were huge, like crystal meth, or not crystal meth, methamphetamine addicts. They used to, they used to dope up the pilots on like a, a bunch of uh, amphetamines so that they, they just wouldn't care about like, you know, dive bombing into, into the uh, ships. I've never come across that tidbit in my own research on World War II. I'm not prepared to completely deny it, but I can't confirm it at this time. It has been suggested, I mean, uh, whether or not there was any kind of that uh, drug-induced fervor as part of their attacks, but there are, even without reference to that, there are cultural Japanese reasons that seem to justify the thinking of the kamikaze approach. Sure. Um, Kamikaze attacks uh, were not actually all that successful. Do you have any idea how many kamikaze pilots actually attempted or died attempting to crash their planes into U.S. naval forces? No idea. I'm no going to say eight. Eight. <laughs> A very distinguished answer. I'd say 27. 27. Would you like to posit a guess other than eight or 26? 56. <laughs> you are the closest. Oh. Thank you. By being the largest, because the actual number is over 3,800 oh, wow. kamikaze pilots. Wow. That oh. sounds successful. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a number you can be proud of. Yeah. Unfortunately, the follow-up question is, what percentage of them actually managed to damage a U.S. naval ship? Six. <laughs> You're close. Five percent. It's a little more than that, about 20% of the attacks successfully wow. damaged something. But that, of course, means that 80% of them yeah. mm. failed. Either missed their target or... Missed their target, were shot, shot down, down or... Their last thought was And again, there are planes, you know, uh, there are little planes smashing into big battleships and things. They can also just well, bounce off without doing much damage. So they're, they're all... Oh, yes? I was going to say, well, if they're all on drugs, you know, <laughs> that messes with know. your depth perception. Yeah. yeah. Listening to speed metal. Um, the formal kamikaze attacks didn't begin until near the end of the war, 1944, and Japan was already losing by then. Like, the end of the war was, like, in sight, but the Japanese culture did not admit the idea of surrender. So they were sort of, like, doubled down by saying, you know, we'll die before you take us. And so that was part of the... On the USA. Philosophy. Right, yeah. Yep, yep, okay. We enabled them. Speaking of enablers. Do our job for us. Um, of course, before the formal introduction of kamikaze forces, the idea of just someone trying to crash their plane to do damage, that, like as a general idea, is something that happened all across sort of World War I and World War II, especially if your plane was already damaged. Like if you were going down anyways, pilots would sometimes try to like target hit targets on their way down. I've had moments like that. <laughs> You're all coming with me. <laughs> Hopefully not while driving. Mm. We're all young. <laughs> um, the tradition of death instead of defeat, capture, perceived shame are deeply entrenched in Japanese military culture and were considered part of this famous philosophical way of life. Do you know the name of the samurai way of life? The samurai code of ethics? I bet you've Lee? heard. Uh, no. <laughs> I the bet, Art of War? No, but that's Sun a great Tzu, book. Yeah. Sun Tzu, it's Chinese. Um, tactician, oh, I was thinking Chinese. No, Bushido. Ah, okay. Surely you've watched 
I played Bushido Blade on the Xbox. There you go. I, I knew the word Bushido was out there in popular culture somewhere. Here's an interesting fact. Besides kamikaze planes, Japanese had other kamikaze vehicles. You know, any of the other vehicles they attempted to crash into? Tricycle. <laughs> the kamikaze pogo stick was a brilliant failure. A motorcycle. Um, I will say... Go-karts. The one thing that all of your answers have in common, which makes them wrong, is that these were all directed at the Navy. So these were all different types of sea or water transport. They're kamikaze submarines, kamikaze... Uh, human man torpedoes, speedboats. That sounds amazing. Human man torpedoes? Yes, they're almost like underwater bicycles. There'd be one or two man crews and they'd have to cycle. I'm as fast as they could. Mandy and I are currently acting out cycling, right, by the way, which is, of course, a great like gag on radio. Water. <laughs> so the idea is going to the water. Tra -la 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 -la. Do they have tandem? <laughs> Can they see that one coming? <laughs> They're both wearing like derby hats and seersucker suits. There are stories of the human <laughs> torpedoes that um, they would go out, they'd be like shot out the submarines or boats and would be mm. cycling around underwater and they couldn't find any targets and have to come back after a couple of hours. <laughs> and that was full of shame. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't blow yourself up. I can't believe we're still alive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> After you've um, written like the goodbye note to your wife and kids and everything, can you imagine how embarrassing? <laughs> like, <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> you get back out there. And blow your wife is already with your best I did, friend. I did want to ask one other World War II trivia question related to kamikaze pilots. Although, in addition to kamikaze pilots, the Japanese trained another type of suicide attack, our soldier suicide combatant, and I will say they were given like the plans on how to train these um, from the Germans, who were their allies. So the Germans had this also. And actually, across the European theater of war, it was the Russians who utilized this type of attack the most. This is a particular type of suicide offensive. Now, does anyone either know Going or remember this? Going out on stage and insulting the college that you're performing <laughs> at. No, no, they love that. <laughs> they love that. <laughs> so it is a Russian form of kamikaze pilots? Well, of, of suicide attack. Of course, the Russians wouldn't use the word kamikaze. Or the spetsnaz? Well, and I will say, too, these weren't pilots. This was ground troops of a very particular kind. Shock troopers? No. That were trained to go underneath enemy tanks carrying Bambushkas. <laughs> no, probably, yeah. Uh, You're not far, I'm sorry to say. Ooh, okay. Suicide dogs. Oh. Wow. I know. That's depressing. It, I know. I didn't even have a choice in the matter. <laughs> 38,000 Japanese men that, dying, yes, not so yeah, sad. Yeah. Dogs. Yes. Very devastating. Sad. Yes. Very sad. Can you imagine wagging their tails like, oh, I'm going to get a treat after this is done. Oh I'm a good boy. <laughs> The Russians eventually, um, by 1942, in fact, had sort of stopped that process. In fact, a lot of dogs were killed ineffectively, and so it began to be seen as a waste of resources, so they found better uses for the dogs, such as finding mines sure. or finding lost troops. Also, um, during a couple of the blockades, I'm sure they were made of cuisine. <laughs> you know I could go mean? for a kamikaze shot right now. Like, I'm just real sad. Are you really sad? Well, can I tell you something that's like horribly funny? 
Maybe it's just horribly tragic and I'm the only one who thinks it's funny. Yeah, it probably is. Well, one of the um, reasons why uh, attack suicide dogs going underneath tanks did not really work out well is because the Russians would train them, you know, back home on their camps and whatever, with Russian tanks. <gasps> and so they would go out into the field <laughs> and, like, release them. And oh. half the time, the dogs would come back and climb under their own tanks. And blow those up. <laughs> that is... <laughs> you brought it back. Wow. Yeah, you rot that. Oops. Yes, that was the... That one detail alone was what justified bringing up the whole subject. <laughs> like, did I do something wrong? Like, why is this the show? Why is this so sad all of a sudden? I just sudden? love the idea of this guy in a tank, like, oh! <laughs> oh, that dog of mine! <laughs> well, uh, that ends our first test question. Um, I have received uh, feedback that I tend to give too much criticism to students and that I should give more positive reinforcement. So I have here a list of 101 random ways to praise a student, and I'd just like to tell you guys, beautiful work. <laughs> I feel better. You know? I feel like I haven't earned it. <laughs> my my all-time favorite Jaffe one is, now you're flying. <laughs> now you're on the trolley. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Dittmeyer. Yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, keep them old timey. Those are my faves. All right, I'll keep that in mind next time. I'll give you a plus five points for a callback <laughs> to a previous episode. <laughs> Let me ask you this question, smart guys. Topic, American or world holidays, in fact. Um, but it's a holiday we do celebrate in America. It is celebrated in other parts of the world. What day is Groundhog Day? Bill Murray's birthday. <laughs> February 6th. We have a vote for February 6th. We have a vote for Bill Murray's birthday. Mark Colella. Uh, the Monday following a Sunday. <laughs> How's that for narrowing it down? Sounds a little No, old. that's when um, Jesus came out of his cave and saw his own shadow. <laughs> and then there was six more weeks of Passover. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. That's hey, probably oh. just about as truthful as that stuff in a good book. Yeah. Um, February 2nd is the official day of Groundhog Day. Um, you know what's significant about February 2nd? Like, there's a kind of a reason why it's that day. Because it's good six more weeks of winter no matter what? Uh, you're not far from the truth. I'll give you three points for crawling in the right direction. It's midway through winter? It's the midway point? It's the midway point. All right. Mm. So, ten points for Mark Colella. Yay. Beautiful job. <laughs> now he's flying. Now, now he's flying in the right direction. This, this tradition of having a uh, groundhog or other rodent be used as a uh, folk meteorologist is not new, actually. There's, um, in, in fact, there's over 100 places in the United States that have their own Groundhog Day really? events. Hacks. As, yes, hacks. <laughs> <laughs> Canada as well, and uh, parts of Europe, especially Germany. Um, well, the, Germany hates animals, so <laughs> clearly. Well, one claim is that the tradition of Groundhog Day dates back to an old German holiday and was brought to America by German immigrants, of which there's a lot in Pennsylvania. Mm. But how old is, you know, say Groundhog Day, but how old is the tradition of bringing out a rodent halfway through winter to make predictions? How old is Richard Gere? <laughs> <laughs> 300 years, I want to say. Fair enough, 300 years? No idea. No idea? 
What do you think, Mandy Lee? 4,786 and a half. As it happens, your answer is the closest Whoa. because it goes back to Roman times. And when the Romans were like invading into Northern Europe, they brought the custom with them. And then and those, they conquered the Goths. Yes. Those Goths. <laughs> yes. Um, as the Romans say, we conquered the Goths, and all we got was a stupid store in the mall. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I just love the idea of like just an army of, of like chubby kids and kiss makeup. <laughs> um, that's to a speed question. Who knows the name of the most famous groundhog in Pennsylvania? Ooh, Puxitani Phil. There you go, Mandy Boom. Lee. She was right there. Because mm -hmm. I like saying Puxitani. That is a fun name, isn't it? Let's all say it. Mark, why don't you say Puxitani. it? Puxitani. Puxitani. <laughs> He's already dancing with Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how accurate is Punxsutawney Phil at predicting weather? Awful. 50% of the time he's right. We have a vote for 50%. We have a vote for awful. <laughs> what would constitute awful? I would say 10%. Okay. What do you think, Mandy Lee, since you're such a Punxsutawney Phil fan? PTF well, you know, I think he does his best, so <laughs> I don't want to criticize. I'll pass. A, um... Weather Service traced his record for the past 100 years and determined that he had, was right 39% of the time. Mm. So even less than half. He should he's a quarter, Punxsutawney quarter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say, Mandy brought up Bill Murray. You get five points for bringing up Bill Murray anytime in my class. Um, of course, Bill Murray starred in the film Groundhog Day. At, Groundhog Day does not go back to the times of Roman legions, but when was, what year did Groundhog Day come out? 1993. Bing, 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 we have a winner. We have a Mark Riccadonna sighting, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I can rain man out of this movie. So, I mean, it was 1992, it was Robin Altman. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Who directed? Ooh, that is either going to be... Uh, Ivan Reitman or Harold Ramis? I want to say Ramis. Mark? I want to say Reitman, too. Ramis is Ramis. the answer. Ah. And he co-wrote and directed it. Um, there's a, some types of trivia that are associated with the film Groundhog Day. Ooh, I'm on it. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Well, let's start with this. Um, as our protagonist is forced to be stuck in a loop and relive the same day over and over again, how much time goes by? How many days? A thousand years. We have a vote for a thousand years. Did, uh, do you have a reason for that? Can you show your work? <laughs> Eight um, days. <laughs> I think in the original uh, in 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 the original draft of the script, it was supposed to it was some sort of a gypsy curse that lasted for a thousand years. Somebody once told me about the original draft of Groundhog Day was. I, way different than the... I got well, some notes. The, well, well, go ahead. I was going to say, there's also a way to figure it out because of how many skills he develops. They say it takes a certain amount of time right. to master each skill. Right. So most people do put it between, like I think, 1,000 and 10,000 years. Well, that's a pretty broad range, young lady. Or maybe it was <laughs> a bunch of days. That... I will say, because um, now two or three things have come up, so to stay on task, <laughs> different people have done different estimates. There's no sort of way to know I do think, though, Mark, you said your answer of eight days. As funny as it might sound, 
that's all the number of days that are depicted in the film. I mean, there's like some montage days, mm -hmm. but like sort of days that you see him live the day, there's mm -hmm. only seven or eight of them. Again, not counting the montages of him learning some of his skills mm -hmm. or trying to kill himself, but of like full days depicted. Well, do you only but, ever judge sitcoms by how many days they show? You assume they're doing something in between. Yeah. Um, what she said. Yeah. In the DVD commentary, Ramis himself, and this was many years ago, first put out the number of 10 years. But as, as film nerds started like doing the kind of math you're talking about, Mandy, it was quickly realized that 10 years was not enough time like to learn all the skills and have all the things happen mm. to him that seemed to happen to him. And then there's different, you know, <laughs> interpretations of how to do that. Um, Steven Toblowski, who is in the film, um, great character actor and comedian, um, he plays the insurance salesman in the film. Um, he said in an interview that Ramis told him that 10,000 years go by. Wow. Oh, nice. I want all his stars. <laughs> oh, come on, you'll have the banana at the end. Um, and the other, the co-writers called Danny Rubin with Ramis. Danny Rubin wrote the original script. And uh, he said, to go along with you, Mark, 23 days was what it felt like, but it had to be thousands of years for everything that actually happened. Actually, there's a great, can I plug a website that I love? Okay. There's a crack.com article about Groundhog's Day, and they criticized it because if you really did live for 10,000 years, your mind would be evolved so beyond, so he wouldn't even be attracted to that girl by the end of the <laughs> film. She'd be an aunt to him. So yes. it's kind of gross. There's a kind of paradox there, to say the least. I will point out to the students listening at home that crack.com is in no way a sponsor of this show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, asked permission Oh, first. I said to do it. I was just making it clear okay. that there was no you know, endorsement product placement going on. Let me go back um, around. I can be like... <laughs> another uh, nerdy website in 2014 said they sat down and in whatever way they, they do this and counted all the days that would be needed. And here's a fun answer. 12,395 days. And um, so that's another nerdy estimate. I got a, a couple of more um, Groundhog Day trivia questions. Nowadays, the phrase Groundhog Day has entered like as an idiom, its own idiom, people just say. Mm -hmm. So what does the phrase Groundhog Day mean in this context? You ever heard anybody say this before? Uh, it means like you're getting like a major sense of deja vu. You feel like you've already been here and been doing something before. So deja vu, mm -hmm. any mark? No, I, I second what man, 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 Mandy? Uh -huh. Mandy. <laughs> Mandy. 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 Um, if there's a, a slight difference between just saying deja vu, again, it's just sort of a slang expression, so you can say it whenever you want, but it, it kind of is supposed to mean something like something that's repetitive, that you have to do a, a lot. Uh, so you go back to work again, you go, Groundhog Day, we're all here again back at work. That kind of thing. I would be mad if someone said that to me. There, <laughs> there is one vocation uh, within a year of the movie's release Referring to a boring or repetitive situation as Groundhog Day was already entering the, the vernacular as an idiom, but it began most prevalently in a particular vocation. Do you know or can guess which vocation it was that adopted this slang? Some sort of office work, I would assume. Some sort of office work? I was going to say like maybe assembly line workers. Factory workers, assembly mm -hmm. line workers? Mark, give us a clever idea. We need it. I got nothing. 
You got nothing? Uh, Stand-up comedians, perhaps? No, no. <laughs> no? Uh, military circles. Especially the Navy at first, and Marines, and just other people that had sort of like repetitive duties they had to do, and, and like you're trapped on your ship or your submarine for months at a time. Ooh. Yes. All right, military circles. And so we, come, we came back around to military. See how the two topics are vaguely related? They're dovetailing. They are dovetailing. Your beautiful work, Jerry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well done. Thank you. You have no idea how much work goes in each one of these topics. I believe, I believe it, actually. <laughs> um, we have time for one more quiz question, okay. but it's going to be a speed round. Mm. Okay. Mm. Here we go. And this is in honor of Sean Christopher Lynch. <laughs> Sometimes performers adopt stage names, and I have a list here of five or six very, very famous people. You definitely know their stage names. This is not like a trick to any of it. Do you know their real names? Mm. That's the question. And um, we'll just go through this list and see how many you can get and who can go the quickest. And uh, I how about, um, I'll start off with an easy one. Well, who knows what's easy, because it's trivia. Who knows Mel Brooks? Real name. Oh. No idea. No idea. Shame. Melvin Kaminsky. How about Woody Allen's real name? Alan Konigsberg. Ah, yes. Oh. Five points for Sean Lynch. Who... It used to work for Alan Koningsberg. Yeah. That's yep. helped you know. Yep. How about Marilyn Manson's real name? <laughs> Brian, uh, something Polish. Bartonomus. <laughs> <laughs> it is Brian. What's the last name? He went to school Anyone? in Canton, didn't he? He's from Ohio. I don't know. Brian Warner. Oh, I did know that. Uh, well, you don't get retroactive points. Groundhog's Day. Okay. Bring it back. We'll be here tomorrow. That's Marilyn Manson. How about Marilyn Monroe? Norma Jean Osborne? No, Norma Jean. It is Norma Jean. Norma what's her What's her last name? Phelps. Uh, Norma Jean. Uh... No. <laughs> He's not a nerd till he says the last name. Norma any, Norma any Elton John fan in the room knows it's Norma Jean. Norma Jean Bates? Uh... Mortensen. Norma Jean Morrison. But she was married a couple, I mean, several times. So to Arthur Miller, yes, among, among others. others. How about Cary Grant? He has a famously sort of colorful, weird real name. Yeah, wasn't something like Melvin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Melvin Jablonski. Mark Colella. Cary and Grant in this. <laughs> Archibald Leach. That's, I've heard these names before. I know, you've heard all of them. It's being put on the spot. That's what tests are like. Yep. Got to ramp up the pressure. How about Groucho Marx? Hint, Marx is his real family name. Groucho is his nickname. So what's his real first name? Steven. Chester. <laughs> Stephen Chester. <laughs> Stephen Chester. <laughs> Chester Marx. That was great. Julian. Julian. Julian Marks. That's beautiful. Why would he Groucho? Um, well, when him and all of his brothers, who all eventually had colorful nicknames, were in vaudeville, they did use their normal names like Julian. Actually, uh, Harpo. Anyone know Harpo's real? Harpo Marx's real name? It's Oprah. quite funny. <laughs> it's, it's almost as funny as Oprah. Mm -hmm. I'll give you 10 Oprah points just for mentioning Oprah. 
Wait, he got 10 for Oprah and yeah. I got five for Murray? I'm yeah. out. Like, <laughs> Nobody likes a grade grubber. Uh, let's see. Adolf. Oh, uh, my God. That wacky Adolf. <laughs> they eventually all went to Broadway, and they started using their stage names, like, fully in programs and things and, uh, while they were on Broadway. All right, I got one more for you. This is a personal favorite. In my mind, it's actually the hardest one on the list, but it just depends on if you know or you don't know. What's David Bowie's real name? <gasps> mm. oh, I'm sorry. There's kind of a funny I'm twist to this, to Bowie. too. I'm sorry to... David Jones. Correct. Mm -hmm. David Jones. That's right. David. Which, as it turns out, is also the name of a... Monkey. Monkey. Correct. So he couldn't be Davy Jones. He had to have a different name. Mm -hmm. All right. That was a speed round. And a little bit of speed would have helped everyone on that one, I think. <laughs> I'm so mad Kamikaze at myself. Speed. As Oscar Wilde once said... Ordinary riches can be stolen, real riches cannot. In your soul are infinitely precious things that cannot be taken from you. I hope that makes whoever doesn't get the golden banana feel better. <laughs> All right, so I'm going back to my grade books and my um, calculator and my um, uh, tool abacus. adding fingers and my abacus. I'm going back to my abacus and calculating your final grades, but before I do, I'm gonna give you all one last chance for extra credit. And this, I'm going to give you all an extra credit topic, and you have to wow me and my students listening at home with your knowledge on this topic. And today's extra credit topic is the ocean. Okay. Well, there are these things called black Mandy. smoke. Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> and there, Groundhog Day. <laughs> these things called black smokers that... Um, Mm -hmm. come up uh, out of the water. It's where, uh, at mid-ocean ridges and stuff, um, the uh, water, if you put enough pressure on it, will stay together. It won't turn mm -hmm. into a gas. So um, all the pressure from the Earth's crust is pressing down on it. So water still kind of stays hot. But after, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember. I'm yeah, do your best. Like, um, so at certain parts where the mid-ocean ridge is pushing away from itself, the pressure starts to release and up through the cracks comes all this all this gas and everything like that. And it's really rich in minerals and we're trying to figure out a way to mine that so we can quit um, you know, uh, screwing over different countries. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And, you screw but, over the whole entire ocean all at once. What happens when they, when they went down we there in the, in the submarine, the little mm -hmm. thing, they screwed around or the, the human mm -hmm. torpedo guys. <laughs> Um, they, they saw, oh, that, well, that thing, and they saw all these little fishies like swimming in and out of it, so they thought, well, it can't be that hot, and they stuck in their thermometer, and they left right. it there for about two seconds, and when it came out, it was just gone. It had dissipated, because right. it was so hot. So it's funny to think about all these like little little, mm -hmm. little shrimpy things can withstand all that heat and living under there, and, and melt our thermometers. Yeah, adaptation and evolution is a wonderful thing. <laughs> well, Mark and Sean get a chance to top you. You've set a pretty high bar, though. What do you gentlemen know about the ocean? It's fast. <laughs> is it fast? How fast is it? it it's like 80% of the planet, right? Yes, approximately. That's all I got. All right. I guess it would be as fast as the planet. So how yeah. fast is the Earth spinning? Um, well, besides spinning and rotating around the Earth and the sun rotating around the galaxy and the galaxy spiral arm turning and the galaxy itself is moving with a cluster of other galaxies, the Earth is going about 2 million miles per hour. I covered that in an earlier podcast. That's how I know. So the ocean is going 2 million mm -hmm. miles per hour. And we are going 2 million Correct. miles per hour. 
uh, you should be wearing safety goggles and a helmet right now. <laughs> My doctor said speed. that too to me the other day. <laughs> that you should be wearing a safety <laughs> helmet and goggles? Sean Lynch, these are two excellent facts about the ocean. Mm -hmm. I hope you got something. Okay, uh, which, is, is it a question or a fact here? It's up to you. It's an open field, okay. like bottom of the test, bonus question. Tell me something about the ocean. Okay, which, uh, which body of water on the planet is considered uh, A, the most dense, and B, the most buoyant for humans? Oprah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you get the banana. The Dead um, Sea, right? Mark Colella. Mm -hmm. So you get points for your question, and you get points for answering his question. Cool. Well done. All right. Well, thank you, and my students listening at home, thank you. That just remains for me to finish calculating the scores and announce that the winner of today's classroom prize, the coveted golden banana, is Mark Colella. Really? Absolutely. I didn't do anything. Kill no, no. You were, you were dying before the extra credit. But okay. after your own extra credit, plus answering his extra credit, that's oh, okay. like double extra credit. All right. He doubled down. So what was the point of us doing any of the work to begin with? <laughs> um, Self-edification. Mm -hmm. And when I have you back in class next time, maybe you'll do better. <laughs> so, I won! Yeah. No, we did something off of that paper before. <laughs> that, 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 that thing she had earlier about the, the, the little things going into the heated vents right? was pretty amazing. All right, well, you can have a gold star for that. Yeah, give her a gold star. So it just remains for me, your host, to thank you, today's students, Mark Colella. Thank uh, you. You're welcome, Jerry Jaffe. <laughs> Mandy Lee, thank you. Yes. I'm, I'm used to that reaction from mm. students. <laughs> and thank you, Sean Lynch. Thank you. I'm just grateful to be here. And as ever, I'm your gracious host and headmaster, Dr. Jerry Joppe. Thank hey. you. Oh, yeah. Gold Star Classroom is written and produced by Jerry Joffe. Our producer and engineer is Stephen Gutierrez. Original music composed and produced by Jeff Geddert. Mr. Geddert is also our assistant producer. All commentary and opinions expressed by guests of Gold Star Classroom are meant for entertainment purposes only. For Gold Star Classroom, I'm Jerry Jaffe.